In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 10, starting from verse 21. Uh, let me give you background. The Lord sent the 70 into a mission to preach the gospel of the kingdom to everyone. So they returned with good news. They were happy because, you know, the word spread among the people, not only that, but even the demons are subject, were subject to them in the name of Jesus Christ. So the Lord told them, as you read in verse 20, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So don't rejoice that now you can make miracles and you cast out demons, but the real joy that our names are written in the heaven, in the book of heaven. After this, actually, when the Lord saw the success of the ministry, which means the destruction of the kingdom of Satan, then the Lord was very happy, as we read in verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So Jesus was genuinely excited. Literally, the Greek text means not only rejoiced, but thrilled with joy. And this is an example of how our Lord rejoices over the work of his servants. And we can see here a contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And the foolishness of the world and if you can accept this term that St. Paul used, the foolishness with God. What do I mean? When the world uses their wisdom, they cannot understand the mystery of God. Because our human wisdom is limited. We cannot understand how Jesus is born from a virgin. The human mind and the human wisdom cannot explain this. So the wisdom of, of the world is considered foolishness to God. The wisdom of the world is foolishness <laughs> to God. But what some people considered foolish for example, if you speak to one of these arrogant, you know, non-believer, and you tell him, God sent his son to be born of a virgin, 
He may tell you, do you believe this? That's foolishness. But what is actually considered foolishness with God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. St. Paul said so. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. Many people, when they don't understand the mysteries of God, they consider it foolishness. When you tell them in the divine liturgy, we pray over bread and wine, and then the bread and wine change into body and and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. People who are trusting their mind, they will say this foolishness. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the bread and wine change into the body and blood? But it is true. That's why the Lord in verse 21 said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What are these things? The mysteries of the kingdom, like the mystery of incarnation, how God became man, how he was born from virgin. The mystery of our salvation, how we are born again in baptism, how when actually you are baptized in the water of baptism, then the old man in us dies completely and now we are new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. How in baptism we became children of God. How in baptism our sins are forgiven. These mysteries, but these mysteries are hidden from the wise and prudent. Wise and prudent mean those who trust the human wisdom. Those who trust their mind. They, don't, they live by their mind, but not by faith. But these mysteries are revealed to babes. If you bring a little child and you tell him, God became man and was born from Virgin Mary. They will believe this easily. When they tell them, you know, what we take in the communion is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. They will believe it. When you tell them in baptism, we are born again. We are new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They will believe it. But did the Lord mean only these mysteries are revealed to the babes? No. Meaning here, these mysteries are revealed to the people who have pure heart and simple heart like the children. So, when we have pure heart and simple heart uh, like children, then uh, we will receive these mysteries because these mysteries are received by faith, not 
by human mind. These mysteries are not in contradiction with the human mind. These mysteries are not in contradiction with science. But simply, these mysteries are above and beyond, beyond the comprehension of the human mind. So these mysteries only received by faith. So when Jesus saw his father, God the Father, hidden these things from people who trusted his mind and revealed them to those who come to God with simplicity of heart, he rejoiced strongly. He rejoiced in the spirit. And when he rejoiced, what did he do? He prayed. He talked to the Father. So, Jesus' joy made him break out into prayer. What do we do when we are joyful? Jesus, when he was joyful, he prayed. What do we do when we are joyful? We need actually to learn this. At least when we are joyful, we, we stand and give thanks to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for what you did for me that made me happy. It's recorded in the, in, in the Bible that Jesus prayed. But what did he pray? What did he pray? We have two recordings only, or two records only. The long prayer in John chapter 17, and this prayer in Luke chapter 10. Uh, but also prayed the Lord Jesus Christ, prayed many, many times, and many times he spent the night alone on the hillside in the darkness of night, and he spent the whole night speaking with God the Father. When Jesus actually saw the success of the ministry, he did not say yes, because I am the one who instructed the disciples and told them what they need to do. No. He praised God the Father for his wisdom, for his plan. And also he praised God the Father for his own unique relationship with the Father, the relationship between the Son and the Father. So Jesus thanked the Father without praising his own work. Jesus thanked the Father for the servants, the 12 disciples and the 70, and all these simple hearts that accepted the mystery of the kingdom. Jesus thanked the Father for the simplicity and the innocence of the heart of his servants. Uh, and here the Son of God, Jesus, reveals the heavenly mystery, declaring his grace to the children and not to the wise ones of this age. So the mystery of the gospel is declared to the children of God, not to the wise people who trust their mind more than trusting God.
Then he said, for so father, even so father, for so it seemed good in your sight. It seemed good in your sight. It is the pleasure of God to reveal himself to us. God wants to reveal himself to us. But the question, do we have the pure eyes to receive this revelation? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The revelation of God is like light. If my light are sick, I cannot see the revelation of God. If my, my eyes are good, I can see the light of the revelation. That's why he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the revelation is there. And God wants to reveal this. But I have to have pure heart, simple heart, to be able to see. Also, theology, the knowledge of God. Theology is not done through experiment in the lab or through research and making some assumptions and try to prove it correct or wrong. No. Theology is done through revelation. Revelation. God revealed himself to us as three, three persons, three hypostases, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's how he revealed himself. Then he is triune God, three in one. Triune God, three in one. We did not discover or make this discovery in, uh, in the lab through experiment. Or we did not make an assumption and then we tried to prove it right or wrong. That's how people do in science. But when it comes to theology, God reveals himself to us. Verse 22. That's a continuation. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So he is saying, all the things have been delivered to me, the Son, by my Father. So God the Father delivered everything, every authority, and he made him uh, the Lord of every authority. He will make every power subject under the feet of the Son. So all things have been delivered to me by my Father. Then he said, who is the best one who knows the Father? The Son. And who is the best one who knows the Son? It's the Father. Then he said, no one 
cannot a father accept through the revelation of the son. The son reveals to us who the father is and the one to whom the son wills, wants to reveal him. So, the Lord Jesus spoke of his unity and his special relationship with the Father. No one can fully comprehend the nature and attributes of God but Christ. And none can fully comprehend the nature and the incarnation, the mystery of the Son, except the Father. So the full comprehension and acknowledgement of the Godhead and the mystery of the Trinity belong only to God. Only to God. But it's revealed to us. Then Jesus spoke of how God allows us to have part in this special relationship. When he said, and the one the one person to whom the son wills is willing to reveal him. Who is the one? The one who has simple heart. The one who has pure heart. The one who trusts in faith. So, if I am among these people who have pure heart, simple heart, God will reveal himself to me. The Son will reveal the Father to me. That is the knowledge of God. That is the knowledge of God. Many people try to study or and read, but to know God, it's not through studying and reading, it's through prayer and asking God to reveal himself to you. Verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples after he finished prayer and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. This part, actually, we prayed in a litany during the Divine Liturgy called the Litany for the Gospel. Usually, Abuna prays this litany before we read the Gospel. Blessed are your eyes for have seen and your ears for, for, the, uh, for the hear. Uh, for many prophets and righteous men have desired to see the things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear the things which you hear and have not heard them. So, in, in the next several passages, the Lord Jesus Christ made several contrasts between those who belong to him and those who belong to the world. Those who see and hear the mysteries of the kingdom of God and those who cannot see and hear the mysteries of the kingdom of God. 
the disciples lived in a very unique time. And it was good for them to realize that it was a special blessing for them to be part of the work of the Messiah. Those who lived during the life of our Lord Jesus Christ on earth, definitely they lived in a very unique time. They were able to see God talk to him, touch him. But after his ascension, God actually is revealing these mysteries to us through the Holy Spirit. So God said to the disciples that they are blessed with a revelation of him and his heavenly father, which elevates them above the prophets and kings of the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets, they prophesied about Jesus. But the disciples saw Jesus, and we partake with him in communion. The righteous kings like David or Solomon, they prophesied about Jesus, about the Messiah. But the disciples saw him with their eyes, heard him with their ears. And now we, uh, we commune with him and we become one with him in communion. That's why those in the new covenant, you know, received the many blessings that people in the old covenant did not receive. The great men of the Old Testament would have longed to see the ministry of Jesus Christ and to serve with him. Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these great men and prophets, they did not have the, they did not have the opportunity to see what we see and to hear what we hear. None of them was able to be one with Christ through communion as we enjoy in our time right now. Each individual disciple of Jesus Christ who is born again through the water and Holy, uh, Holy Spirit in baptism, is born again into the family of God and becomes a child of God. In, as I said, we became children of God. So we became in the immediate family of God. This was not the case in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, they prophesied about God, but they were not in the family of God as we are in the immediate family of God. Uh, so we saw contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, the foolishness with God and the foolishness of the world. And we saw another contrast between those who see and hear the mysteries of the kingdom and those who could not see and hear the mysteries of the kingdom. Verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up 
and tested him saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The word lawyer here doesn't mean attorney. Lawyer were professional teachers and expert of the law of Moses and of the traditional saying. So they were called lawyer because of their experience or expertise in the law of Moses. Has nothing to do with attorney. So in this passage, one of those who considered wise and educated, the lawyers, they understood and interpreted the law of Moses. So one of these wise and educated stepped forward and asked Jesus Christ, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Then maybe we say, how a lawyer ask a simple question like this? Because the answer to this question is in the law. So if you understand the law, you should know how to answer this question. So this man came not actually to understand or get an answer, but he stepped forward to test the Lord Jesus Christ to test his understanding of the law of Moses in hopes that he can damage and destroy the reputation of Jesus as a teacher. So he asked this question to challenge the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a hard and comprehensive question. This query how eternal life was to be won. And most probably, this question was carefully prepared by the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, from the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers. So, how the Lord replied to this question? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Many times the Lord Jesus Christ answers questions by questions. And we use this in apologetics. You know what's apologetics? Apologetics when you defend your faith. That's what we call apologetics. Apologia is a Greek word that means defend. So for example, if somebody comes to you, an atheist, and tell you, what's your evidence that God exists? You can answer him by a question and tell him, tell me your evidence that God does not exist. What's your evidence that God does not exist? They don't have any evidence. Yeah. So this method of answering a question by question is a common method in apologetics. So the Lord actually answered the Lord's question with his own question, asking, 
two questions. He asked the Lord two questions. First question, what is written in the law? And the second question, how you interpret what's written in the law? So the text and the interpretation of the text. So if the question was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Then the answer is very simple. To keep the law of God and keep it perfectly. So, as if the Lord, by asking him question, he answered the question. So, he asked him, what should I do to inherit eternal life? So the Lord told him, read the law of God, understand it well, apply it in your life, you will inherit the kingdom of God. So this was the answer of Jesus. As if the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to tell him, you are the lawyer who interprets the law and you don't know, you tell me what's written. If you read the law of God, if you keep the law of God and keep it perfectly, that's how you inherit the kingdom of God. So the lawyer answered in verse 27. He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You know, the Ten Commandments were grouped into two categories. One has commandment from number four, number one to number four, and this concerning the relationship with God. And the other one from number five to number 10, regulating our relationship with one another. So they used actually to uh, summarize the, the Ten Commandments in two commandments. The first four, love the Lord your God. And from five to ten, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the summary of the Ten Commandments. And actually, if we summarize even the two commandments, what is the love. common word here? Love. That's why in the song that we chanted before our Bible study, it says, the Bible in a word is what? Is love. The Bible in a word is love. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, which implies you love yourself. So this lawyer answered by quoting two commandments from the law. The first one from Deuteronomy 6-7, love the Lord your God from all your heart or your mind. And the second one from Leviticus 19, uh, verse 18. So the first one concerning our relationship with God, the second one, our relationship with one another. Here he said, love the Lord your God 
with all, all, all the very important, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And he repeated all four times. Because the word all means you need to give God your undivided love from all your heart. Undivided means you cannot have part in your heart for the world and part for God. You cannot divide your heart between God and the world. During the time of Elijah, some people wanted to live according to idol called Baal. And some people wanted to worship the Lord. So Elijah told them, don't go back and forth between the two. If the Lord is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. But don't go back and forth. Sometimes on Sunday, when we go to church, that's our love to God. But the rest of the week, it's for the world. No. Love the Lord your God from all your heart. So one must give God one's undivided love and loyalty, which encompasses one's entire being, one's heart, one's entire spiritual and physical being, and one's entire intellectual faculties. To love him from all your heart means all your emotions directed toward God. There is no emotions toward the sin or the pleasures of the world. To love him from all your soul means all your desires are toward God. You don't desire anything from the world. With all your strength means you serve him with all your ability. All your energy is directed to God. And from all your mind, all your thoughts are to God. No strange thought, no sinful thought come to your mind. The second commandment uh, is concerning our relationship with one another. We must love others as ourselves. And there is a commandment called the golden rule. What's the golden rule? As you want others to treat you, treat them the same way. So, if you are in a certain situation and you don't know how to deal with the other person, in order to answer this question, how I deal with this person, just reverse the, the, the rules. Put yourself in his place and put the other in your place. 
and ask this question. How I want him to treat me? And the answer of this question, go and, and do it. For example, one of the common things, slander. We slander one another. Sometimes we find joy backbiting or defaming. What if the rules are reversed? If I'm in his situation, how I want people to treat me? That is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we treat other as we want them to treat us, believe me, we'll be living, living in paradise. But many times we treat others very harshly and then we demand a gentle and kind treating to treatment to ourselves. Verse 28. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. So, the Lord here accepted the answer of the lawyer as true. And indeed, this answer is true. Uh, so, the Lord actually used this as opportunity to teach the multitude who were around. Said, if you love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, then that's what you need to do to inherit the kingdom of God. So these words, do this and you will live. God actually, the, Jesus Christ, knew what was in this man's heart. As I told you, this man came, asked the Lord Jesus Christ this question to test him with the intention to, quote, to catch him in something he might say wrong, to damage him and to destroy his reputation. So the Lord read the secrets of his heart and saw how little love he has in his heart toward Jesus. Because if he loved Jesus, he wouldn't go and challenge him and tested him. So he knew, as a lawyer, he knew what he should do to inherit the kingdom of God. But unfortunately, he did not apply it in his life. He knew it, but he did not apply it. That's why it's not enough to know, but you need to do. So the Lord told him, if indeed you follow your understanding of the law, then if you apply it, you will find eternal life. Do this and you will live.
The last point I, I like to explain here, uh, in the Old Testament, we have the commandments, but we don't have the power to apply the commandment in our life. Have the commandment, love the Lord from all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. But I don't have the power. For example, if I tell you, go and remove, carry all these tables. You have the commandments. And you want to do it. But you don't have the power to do it. In the New Testament, we have the commandment. But beside the commandment, we have the grace of God. The grace of God is the power to help me to do the commandment. As we read in John chapter 1, the law was given by Moses. The law was given. Do this. But grace and truth by Jesus Christ. So now if I tell you, carry these tables, I am giving also you the power to carry or the tools to carry them. So in the new, in the new covenant, yes, we are instructed and ordered to keep the commandments. But the main difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, that in the new covenant, we have the grace of God. We have the grace of the Holy Spirit. The power that helped me to keep the commandment of God. But this did not actually exist in the Old Testament. The last verse in our Bible study tonight, verse 29, but he wanting to justify himself because the Lord Jesus Christ exposed him. So he wanted to justify, when I said Jesus exposed him, not, not in, a, in a negative way. When the Lord told him, do this and live, then the person within himself felt guilty that he did, is lacking love. So he wanted to justify himself, saying to Jesus, you know, yeah, the Bible says love your neighbor. Are you my neighbor? Maybe if I prove that, yeah, the lawyer is saying, if I prove that Jesus is not my neighbor, then I can justify why I don't love him. Then I'm not at fault. You know? So that's the meaning of this verse. And he wanted to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he desired to appear blameless or to vindicate himself, to show that he had kept the law. And if anyone, he did not show love toward him, maybe because he is not his neighbor. So perhaps this lawyer figured that he obeyed the first commandment well, love the Lord your God. So he loved God from all his heart, all his mind, all his strength, and all his soul. But his keeping of the second commandment depended on how one defined the word neighbor. 
wouldn't that be everyone on earth? Yeah. If any mankind, we're all in the family of in the family mankind, of God. Yes. Yes. But he wants to justify himself. That's why he, he wants to define what who is my neighbor. So the question implied a conscience half awakened and uneasy. He felt guilty. So the conscience started to be awakened, but not all the way. And he he became uneasy when the Lord told him, do this and live. So he want actually to justify himself by this question. And this is a great mistake to assume that he had fulfilled the first commandment. If this lawyer assumed that he fulfilled the first commandment, he is lying to himself. St. John said, if you say, I love God, but you hate your brother, you are a liar. Because how can you love God whom you do not see and hate your brother whom you see with your own eyes? So when we really consider what the words mean, then who among us have, has loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, and with all his mind? No one actually. No one can claim that he kept this commandment. It is easy for us to be distracted in any one of these areas, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, even when we worship God, many times it's it from all your mind. Many times when we pray, we get distracted. Then we don't love him from all our mind. Uh, and in, in our daily living. Another mistake is to think that the lawyer could fulfill the first commandment to love God with all he had and is still possibly not fulfilling the second commandment to his neighbor, to love his neighbor. So if the lawyer said, I, I, I fulfilled the first commandment, he is mistaken twice. Because nobody can say, I loved God from all my heart, all my mind, all my soul etc. And even theoretically, if he was able to do this, then how he did not love his brother. Uh, and another mistake was in the way that he wanted to define the word the neighbor in a narrow way. Maybe he said, my neighbor is only the lawyers. My neighbors are only the Pharisees. From my sect, from my group. But as I just said, all of us, we are in the family of the human kind, children of Adam and Eve. And all of us inside the church who are in the family of God. So when he said, who is my neighbor? His intention to narrow the definition of neighbor to a certain group. As a fact, the Jews in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
they believed that you need and you must love your neighbor. But also they taught among themselves that it was a duty before God to hate your enemy. Then they divided the people into neighbors and enemies. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But if my neighbor includes all the children of Adam and Eve, then I need to love everybody. It all depends on who your neighbor is and who your enemy is. That's their definition. Who your neighbor and who your enemy. My neighbor is the one from the same group, same sect. My enemy is the one who is from another sect. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ replied to him by the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there was enmity, real enmity between the Jews and Samaritan. But in this parable, he proved that the Samaritan who is an enemy, actually is considered the neighbor of uh, the, the Jewish man. Uh, this actually concludes our Bible study tonight at verse 29. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.